0: Welcome to the Crazy Love Podcast. Do we really believe that God
1: can do anything? Or do we make sure our plans are lined up just in
0: case we need to fall back on them? In today's message, Francis takes us through stories from the book of Second Chronicles, as well as the early church in Acts chapter 2,
1: to confront our hearts with an important question. Do we truly believe that God will support and do what only He can do through the ones who fully
0: trust in Him?
1: You know, as I I think about what Jehoshaphat did, and we talked about that earlier, but I just want to challenge you. Would you have done it the same way? I feel like sometimes we trust God's word, but then we'll also kind of, I don't know, kind of hedge our bets a little bit or, or make it as easy for him as possible. You, you know, and, and, and the thing is, when you read about Jehoshaphat's life at the end of his life, it says uh, in uh, chapter 20, verse 30 uh, something, I can't see that well, after this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, joined with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted wickedly. He joined him in building ships to go to Tarshish, and they built ships in uh, Ezengeber, and Eliezer, the son of Dod Wahu of Marsha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because you joined with Azariah, the Lord will destroy what you've made. So this is what concerns me when I read through Kings and Chronicles. A lot of these guys start off, do these amazing things, and God does amazing things through them. They get to experience miracles, but then at the end, they rely on something else. And God isn't pleased with that, and he destroys their ships. He goes, you don't Make this partnership. And I feel like that's one of those sins that we don't really count as sin anymore. We just go, well, that's just good stewardship. Um, That's just wisdom from God. He gave me the strategy. I I mean, think about Elijah. When I think about the the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel, you know, he just knew God was going to come through. But he did what what we probably wouldn't do, they says, well, you know what? Why don't you to just throw buckets of water on that thing? Because God's going to light it on fire. So no matter what you do, it's still going to happen. He was so sure of God. He goes, now sit with water. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Do whatever you want. Because if God decides to do something, he's going to do it. And I just, I look at uh, strategies in church today, and, and I feel like it's almost like, I would go, okay, God, I, I think you're going to light that thing on fire, but I mean, I would probably just dose, you know, douse some gasoline on it just, just to be helpful. I might take up smoking. I might, you know, just, I, I just want to help him along rather than go, no, it doesn't matter. If God decides to do something, he's going to do it. So you know what? Let's put our worship leaders in front of the army that would absolutely annihilate us rather than going, well, I know God's going to come through, but just in case, let's put our best guys forward. Let's get our, you know, best artillery, whatever. It's just that trust. I love reading through the kings and, and reading about each of them because for me, it's a time of like, self-reflection. I go, okay, God, am I, am I like that guy? Or I don't want to be like that guy. You know, after uh, Jehoshaphat dies, his son uh, Jehoram takes over, and he leads for like eight years, but, but it's such a horrible verse in 2 uh, in Chronicles 21, verse 20. It says, He was 32 years old when he began to reign and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem and he departed with no one's regret. That's a bad life. He died with no one's regret. Like he was such an unloving king. He, he's, he, had such no, he had no impact except negative impact on people's lives. So when he died, it says he died to no one's regret. No one mourned at his funeral. No one was sad. They're actually excited. We're done with that guy. Uh, you know, goes on. Uh, I think of uh, Joash. Um Joash was pretty amazing. Um, but uh, again, he was seven years old when he started to reign. Seven years old. I mean, imagine grabbing a seven-year-old out of the child care right now and making him king. Crazy. And he ends up leading for 40 years. I mean, some of you have seven-year-olds. Imagine them leading us right now. And yet this king did it for 40 years. But then in the Second Chronicles 24, starting in verse uh, 17, it says, after the, oh, oh yeah, yeah, because there was this uh, priest, Jehoiada, who was kind of like his mentor, his you know, influence. And so he, he was a great king. But then again, at the end, after the, Je- the death of Jehoiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king. And then the king listened to them and they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the ashram, the idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for, the guilt, for this guilt of theirs. And he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. These testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of, the, of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says the Lord, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. But they conspired against him and by command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So this is the way he ended his reign. Again, you start at seven, you're killing it for 40 years and then suddenly you start listening to these other influences and you end up a murderer and you're killing a prophet now And then Joash is assassinated. Tomorrow in our reading, uh, you'll read about King Uzziah. You guys may recognize that name from, you know, the year that King Uzziah died, you know, Isaiah 6. But Uzziah, he made it 52 years 52 years. He was a great king for 52 years. And, in, and, and you'll read this tomorrow in the Bible reading. In Second in Chronicles 26, verse 15, it says, His fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped until he was strong. But when he was strong... He grew proud to his destruction. It's like, wow, he made it 52 years. And he ends up getting struck with leprosy because of his sin and his pride. And it's like he was marvelously helped. So again, he saw all these marvelous, like miracles of God. And then at the very end, he got proud and God punishes him, and he dies. So I'm looking at these guys' lives and um, I look at my own. I'm going, okay, it's, it's been a good ride so far. It's been an amazing life so far. I'm kind of blown away by it all, but all of us have that ability to flip the switch and go in opposite direction. And um, a couple weeks ago, I was heading to South Africa to do a bunch of like pastors' conferences and these these night rallies. And um, on the flight over there, I was just praying, just saying, "God, I I want to see Your power. I feel like my life has been feeling a little bit too normal." And you ever get that way where you're just like, this is the way like normal people live. This is the way people who don't know God, who don't know the Holy Spirit, their lives don't look that different from this. God, I just want to see your power again. Can you use me? Like, like I, I know you use me, but like, like, really, like, can I experience you and just know that you're still with me and you're, you're, you're going you're gonna to just do these things through me? And it was one of the most amazing trips. I mean, the first night when I got there, you know, I'm jet lagged and everything, so I probably got like an hour or two of sleep. And But when I was sleeping, a passage of scripture was in my dream. This has never happened to me. Like, I don't even know what the, I didn't know what the scripture was. It just said, the reference and then it caught on fire and I'm just watching this in my dream and I wake up and I'm like whoa I just saw scripture in my sleep I don't know what it is you know and I was super super tired at that point I'm like I'm gonna go back to bed I should write it down no I'll remember and uh and I didn't write it down because I, I will remember I because I've never seen it before and so when I woke up you know an hour later I remembered and I look it up and it's uh it was Psalm it just said Psalm 19 1 through 4 that was pretty cool that's never happened to me. I've heard of people, sometimes they'll dream and a, a passage will come to their mind. It's just never happened to me. And so, so Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words the ends of the earth. In them He has set a tent for the sun. So I'm reading that, going, okay, God, what is that about? So the heavens declare your glory. Are you, are you telling me, like, like I'm, I, I want to be like the stars. I want to be like the sun. I want to just declare your glory. That's all it is. And I was, I was getting ready to teach at a pastor's conference. So I just kind of read it. I go, hey, this happened to me last night. I don't know if this means anything to anyone here, but I'm just going to read it because this doesn't happen every day. And, uh, you know, kind of taught through the passage and it was fine, you know, I don't know what actually happened with those pastors. If one of them was like, oh no way, I can't believe it. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know, I just thought it was cool. And then the next night I'm doing a night rally in this city called Potchefstroom. Potchefstroom is a very interesting city. I think a very significant city in South Africa. This is actually where all the pastors got together a very terrible thing. It was during apartheid, and this is where the pastors got together, and they defended the segregation of blacks and whites biblically. So some pretty evil things happened in that city. And we went to the field where all the partying and everything else is going on. And we gathered a couple thousand people to come worship and hear the word of God. As I'm getting ready and I'm like praying, oh Lord, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to say? He just says, I mean, I really felt like he communicated to me. Again, it was just weird stuff. This is not normal for me. Okay, only one time in my life have I seen a verse. And here I am going, whoa, did you just say that? Where I felt like God says, just tell them all to look up. And I'm going, okay. Then what? And for how long? Like, are they supposed to just stare up the whole time and not look at me? And there's no answer. So I'm just like, again, I get on the stage. Here's a couple thousand people in a field. And I'm like, can we turn off every single light? Because, you know, there's spotlights, there's some weird, you know, spinning lights, there's fog machines. I mean, it's one of those. And, uh, and, you know, screens and everything else. And I'm like, can we turn everything off and no one look at me? And everyone just look up So 2,000 people, or maybe more, I can see, they just all started looking up. And I thought, oh, now it's time for Psalm 19, 1 through 4. As they're staring at the stars, and they're looking at the moon, I just started reading Psalm 19, 1 through 4. I just read it over and over and over, and God was showing me like, Francis, I don't need you to give some great speech to bring me glory. He says, night after night, if people would just look at those stars, they would declare my glory. And and, you know, and everyone's just kinda laying back, looking at these stars. And I'm just reading different passages about the stars, and That's all we did for half the talk. So I'm like, Lord, now what? You know? But there was something so powerful because I felt like as they were staring at the moon and the moon was just coming out and everyone's looking at it and we're just thinking, what an amazing God we have. And his stars, the moon, declared his glory far better than I ever could. And then uh, we ended up getting more into the scriptures and then worships happened and the place just erupted. You had blacks and whites together in South Africa dancing, jumping, screaming, everyone just jumping and screaming and praising God. It was just such a rush. Then the next day, I go to a pastor's conference, and I'm getting ready to speak, and I'm going, God, what do you want me to speak on? Which, by the way, I'm not saying like anyone else should prepare sermons like I do <laughs> where it's right before and you're like oh, what do I say this is only because I've been teaching the word of God for you know and studying for the last 40 years and preaching thousands of times that I can recall old sermons this is not like uh, you know let's just make stuff up and hope something comes to us but um as I'm praying I felt like God said King Asa, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, where it says the eyes of the Lord range to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. But that first part, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro the earth. And so I thought, okay, let me me look that up. And, and I knew the story of King Asa. I love the story of King Asa. But I'm reading it because King Asa, again, he was an awesome king. He was an amazing king. When you read about the things that he did um, in uh, like 2 Chronicles 15, um, Verse 8, it says, he took courage. He put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah. Uh, verse 11, they sacrificed to the Lord. Um, they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart, with all their soul, that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord. Um, it, 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 And it says, the Lord gave him rest all around. And then in verse uh, 18, or no, it's probably 16, I'm guessing. I'm sorry, I can't see verses. Uh, Even Makkah, his mother, King Asa, removed from being queen mother because she made it a testable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, burned it in the book Kidron. But the high places were not taken from Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all of his days. So here's a king who completely changes the country, okay? He destroys all the idols. He makes a people, come on, we're going to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, everyone. Let's make a covenant. Let's make a vow. It'd be like me just grabbing an entire nation and going, you guys, in fact, if anyone doesn't want to do this, we're going to kill you. Because this was supposed to be a nation for God. This is, this is God's nation. So we're going to do this. And all the people, like they make this oath and they start following the Lord wholeheartedly. And then Asa's like, are you kidding me, mom? You've got an idol? You're no longer the queen mother. And he says that to his mom. And we're going to chop down that thing that you built back there. And we're going to burn it up. I mean this is he's just completely devoted to god but then it says in verse in chapter 16 where we get that verse in the 36th year of the reign of asa Basher king of israel um, uh, went up yeah yeah early i gotta i gotta remind you king asa went up against Crazy armies. The Ethiopians were a a million strong with all of these chariots, but he cried out to God and God saved him. And he relied on God. But then in chapter, so he did this for 35 years. Then it says in the 36th year, another king is coming to attack him, but this time, Verse 2, Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, there is a covenant between me and you as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I'm sending you silver and gold. Break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. So he... The last times he cried out to God, this time he says, I'm going to get this other king who's actually with that king. I'm going to get him to turn on him and join me. And that's when the, uh, the seer in, in verse seven, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria, and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen, yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. So He did it for 35 years. He killed it. He did everything right, it seemed. But then in the 36th year, here comes another army. And this time rather they going, God, you rescued me from the Ethiopians. You rescued us from the Libyans. That was impossible. Do it again. He doesn't do that. He strategizes. He gets this king to turn from this king. And God says, that was stupid. Don't you remember everything I did for you? For 35 years. So I'm reading this because I'm getting ready to preach this. And then it hits me. I started preaching in 1987. I've been preaching 35 years. This is my 36th year. And I'm, you know, and God tells me, go read about King Asa, preach on King Asa, and I'm reading and I'm going, wait a second, I've been doing this 35 years. I'm in my 36th year. And God's saying to me, what are you going to do now? You got a platform now? You've got some resources now? You going to turn to that, or are you going to go back to when you were a nineteen year old, scared of scared to death to get in front of this crowd and preach? No one cared about you. No one, man. It just it was a, a crazy time in life. I started the the ministry. Started teaching, having no idea anything. And God's saying, What about now? Now, what are you going to do? You got a choice to make. I mean, do we believe that literally the eyes of the Lord are looking? He's looking. I mean, it's just, he's looking throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. The blameless heart, he's saying, Asa, that was you. Uzziah, that was you. Jehoshaphat, that was you. It's like all these people, that's, that's the way they started. They had this heart that was blameless. What was that blameless heart? It was one that relied on God. And you said, God, I could douse this thing with water. I can have a, the guy playing flute at the front of the arm It doesn't matter. You remember the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer? He goes, hey, the two of us can take on that whole army if God's with us. And we just got to go. Let's just go and see what happens. Maybe, maybe God's going to be with us and the two of us will destroy an entire army that these are the things that are lifted up in scripture. Like, do you literally believe God on his throne right now is looking around saying whose heart is blameless? Who actually trusts me here? Not kind of trust me and we'll hedge their bets and get everything set up, you know, just in case I fail. I mean, that's, that's what a lot of times I feel like can happen in church. You know, if we just plan out the service just right, it's going to be fine whether God shows up or not. I mean, really, it'll be okay. It's like that old quote, I think it was by Tozer that said, you know, if the Holy Spirit left, 95% of the churches wouldn't even notice. Because they're carrying on fine without him. There's not a dependence there. We're not putting ourselves in situations where God's got to come through. So God is looking to strongly support someone. Would he choose you as he's looking around Going, there's a blameless heart. There's a person who actually believes. I'll take care of him. I'm telling you, the greatest times in my life have been those times I've stepped out in faith and just said, this is kind of crazy. And I just want that for everyone. I mean, and we're reading Old Testament stuff so far. I mean, the New Testament with the coming of the Holy Spirit. What what does Jesus say after he rose from the grave and he appears to all of the disciples and he's walking around them for, for 40 days, talking to them about the kingdom of God? And then he says, hey, but I want you to wait in Jerusalem. Wait until the promised Holy Spirit comes. Okay, I don't want you just leaving this, but just just stay and wait, okay? He goes, and then in verse eight, he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Like, do we believe that right now? Do you believe that when the Holy Spirit entered you, you became a completely different person? And he gave you power to be his witness I want us to do something right now. I want us to listen. I'm going to have Lisa read Acts chapter 2, the entire chapter. Okay, so, so remember, Jesus says this power is going to come upon you. It's going to fall upon you when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to receive this power. And then we get to Acts chapter 2. And something happens. Now. I don't know where. What everyone's background is. Theologically. Um, Some of you have been. I was raised in a tradition. That taught me not to really believe anything major was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came upon me. And maybe you were raised in that type of church also and were taught that type of theology. All I'm asking you to do is just be fair to the passage. Um, Just... listen, I I mean, for all of us, I'd like us to listen to Acts chapter 2 like it's the first time we ever heard about it. And maybe for some of you, it is the first time you ever heard about it. That's great. Um, But let's just, let's remember, Jesus rose from the dead. That was pretty significant. He walked around and was teaching people for 40 days. That's big. And then he tells his disciples, I want you to wait for the gift that God promised. Then Jesus ascends into heaven, and they were praying. So he walked around for 40 days, and then it says that all this happens on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was 50 days after the Passover. So we just celebrated Easter a couple weeks ago. So we're actually, it's interesting, we're in that waiting period for Pentecost. So these guys are in this upper room and they're praying for 10 days. They're waiting for 10 days. So far, they don't know how long. They just know Jesus said, just stay there until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now I want you to listen like you've never heard this before. And what happens?
0: When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing." And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received this word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved.
1: God, give us faith in your word. Please, Lord, we're coming before your throne of grace and asking you to give us faith. Help us to believe. We want our hearts blameless. We don't want to try to work by our own power to build a church. We just want to see your power. We believe that happened. We believe you could do anything now. Not that it's gonna be just like that, but God, it's gonna be. It's gonna be powerful if it's of you. God, help us see your kingdom. Help us be that kind of church like they were. They experienced you and they didn't care about their stuff. They just started sharing all of their stuff to where no one's in need. And no one's holding on to anything. They just loved you because your spirit fell upon them. God, help us become that kind of church. Your word says that everyone was feeling a sense of awe at the miracles that were happening. We believe, God, that if your spirit, Holy Spirit of God, enters into a human being, there should be a radical difference. In their lifestyle, the fruit of the spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, Self control and power to be your witnesses, supernatural spiritual gifts, words of knowledge, prophecy. You said in your word that this was the fulfillment of Joel. That it was the last day so the old men would dream dreams. The young men would see visions. This is your word. If those were the last days 2,000 years ago, what in the world could we be in right now? God, we confess right now, Lord, help us. There, I've, so many of us in this room are going, God, I've never experienced that power. I get little tastes of it. I'm, I'm not okay. I've got to have more. God, we don't want to do this. We don't want to just get together, sing some songs, hear a sermon, go home, try to get along, maybe give a few bucks to the poor. God, this is stupid. We're just done. Like, like we want this. We don't want to be like, oh, using our strategy, our resources, and, and trying to combine. We want to rely on you. Where either your spirit falls on us and he just starts doing things that we could never have done by our own power and everyone knows it or just forget it all. God, give us faith. You say without faith, it's impossible to please you. God, you're looking for the person who's just blameless, whose heart is blameless. They're not trying to mix you with their own cleverness. They're just saying, Holy Spirit, come. Please, God. Please, God. You said we could come before your throne of grace to find mercy and receive grace in your time of need. Oh God, we need you right now. Father, tonight would you show us Areas where we're just off. Why we're not seeing your power in our lives. If it's disbelief, if there's things we're refusing to surrender. God, our church does not look like the Acts 2 church. Show us, Lord, convict us, give us faith, courage, but Lord, ultimately, it's your gift. These are spiritual gifts that you just give to people who don't deserve it. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. God, we're not praying and saying this because we're not grateful. We're just, we just want to be obedient. and We want to resemble this church in Acts 2 where everyone was drawn to it. They saw the power. They saw the love. They saw the commitment to each other.